This episode is brought to you by the Life Score Assessment, a free tool that gives you the clarity to set better goals and build toward the future that you want. Download it for free at lead2.win slash lifescore. Let's hit it. Here we go. Three, two, one. Hi, I'm Michael Hyatt. And I'm Megan Hyatt Miller. And this is Lead to Win, our weekly podcast to help you win at work and succeed at life. Today, we're talking about the danger of entitlement and the power of its antidote focusing on contribution. Dad, I'm excited that we're talking about this because I hate entitlement, as I know you do. And this is one of the most toxic ways of being that can ever come into an organization. And it is tough to root out if it finds its way into your company. So this is an important thing for us to dig into today. Okay. So let's talk about where this comes from, because this seems like kind of a cultural thing, right? You know, and and I never feel more old than when I say, you know, these young people today, (laughs) you know, they're so entitled. But, But seriously, like when I was growing up, if I had exhibited an attitude of entitlement in my family, I mean, that just wouldn't fly. Right. Right? You know, I was expected to make a contribution. I wasn't entitled to anything. And I kind of felt like the whole culture was like that. But there's a shift that's that's taken place over time, and I'm not quite sure where it came from. Yeah, I don't know either. But I do think as there's more affluence, as um, – you know, standard of living is raised everywhere. Just people's expectation of what they think they deserve also raises with it, right? And and so, you know, the problem is whatever's going on that is the cause of this culturally sh- starts to show up in our companies if we're not intentional to do something different. And then all of a sudden you have a scenario where people expect to um, – you know, get a raise every year just because they showed up to work or they expect other benefits uh, just just for for doing, you know, the, the bare minimum. And they're not contributors. They're not focused on contributing. They're not focused on adding value. They're focused on what the company can do for them, not what they can do for the company. And I can remember being in an interview with someone who was pretty young several years back. And she started the interview. This is back when I was interview part of the interview process earlier on. Um, she didn't really make it past that initial interview, as I remember. But she, but her whole pitch was the list of the of the ways that she thought the company would help her achieve her life goals. And I remember thinking, like, that's not the business that we're in. You know, we're we're going to do an exchange of value here. I'm going to give you money potentially so that you can make a contribution to the company to help the company contribute its goals. And of course, in doing that, we help her accomplish her goals as well. But that's not the explicit purpose of it, right? So it was a a really strange conversation. Yeah. Well, and it happens all the time. But I think it begins with the focus on what I deserve. Exactly. Versus what I can contribute. Yes. And the focus always, I think, as a leader has to be, how can we serve? How can we make a contribution? And then the rewards will follow. That's right. And you can't get that backwards. But I've been in interviews like that too, where people are like, well, what will you pay me to do that? You know, well, obviously there's going to be an exchange of value, but what I want to know is what are you willing to do to earn this money that I'm willing to pay you? 
Right. Yeah, let's talk about your contribution first, and then we'll talk about the reward for it. Right. And I think as leaders, I, I was literally just reading this morning my devotional, you know, that that the thing that defines leaders, at least from a biblical perspective, is the willingness to serve. That's right. Right? And everything comes out of that. And I think that sort of the popular notion of leadership today is if you're in a position of leadership, what you get with that is power mm-hmm. or fame or riches or something. And and I mean, how else do you explain kind of this influencer culture Ugh. that we see in social media? It's I mean, so it gross. makes us sick. But you know, people who and, and and they call themselves leaders, but they're not really leaders. Right. You know, in any they're sense famous the for being famous. Right. And they're and it's kind of a institutionalized social narcissism. Yeah. You know, one of the other places I've seen this show up is when people want to raise, which there's nothing wrong with, you know, wanting to make more money. Of course, that's sure. that's a good thing. Um, but I have been approached over the years in probably every way you can imagine, people wanting raises. And normally it's great. You know, normally people come and they say, hey, I have added, you know, this value in the last several years or in the last year. And here's what I think I can do in the coming year. I'm so excited about all these ways that I can serve and they're specific. And I'd like to, you know, just humbly and boldly ask you for X rays, you know? And when people come to me like that, they don't really come to me anymore necessarily directly, but we're very open to considering that, you know, we're, we really want to recognize people's contribution. But when somebody says, Hey, you know, I've been here for three years and I haven't gotten a raise. Like what's the company policy on that? You know, I just want to like hit my head against the wall because that's entitlement. That's I've been I've been sitting in this chair and I deserve this raise. Now, fortunately, that almost never happens for us, and certainly, you know, not when people are here long term. Um, but that's the kind that's the way entitlement sounds versus someone focused on contribution. Let me ask you a question: as a leader, as a worker in our company, if you didn't get a raise, would you still keep contributing? Absolutely. Would you find ways to contribute even more? Of course. Yeah. Because, and, and I think for a, a person that's healthy and for a person that's a true leader, they can't not do that. That's right. It's just you know, how and, they're and, wired. And, and, I th- and I think the rewards follow, but it's not like it's a, at least for the best leaders I know, it's not a quid pro quo. Exactly. You know, it's not like, well, I'm only going to con- keep contributing as long as you keep acknowledging and upping the ante. You know, that's, that's not right, but that happens in a lot of organizations. Okay, so let's talk about this in the context of this new core value that we have at our company and what it means to you, Megan, because you were the one that, that really came up with this. Yeah, so first of all, let me just set the stage for a second. A couple weeks ago, we had our annual team meeting, and this is a meeting where we present our annual plan to the entire team. We uh, acknowledge promotions that have happened. We share our staffing plan for the year, our product plans, all kinds of stuff. We'll probably do a whole episode about this in the future because I know a lot of people are curious exactly what that meeting entails. Uh, We have a section when we go through our core ideology, which is our uh, vision, our mission, and our values. And we also give core value awards to the team members who best embody 
one of our eight core values. So these are people who are nominated by our team. Dad, you and I don't get to vote. We have taken ourselves out of right. that process. And it's really fun to see, you know, who is the person that our team thinks best embodies these values. So it's a big focus of that meeting is celebrating the um, incarnation, really, of these values because it only matters uh, if you have core values if they get lived out in your organization, right? If they're just on a wall, who cares? That's right. So every year as a part of our strategic planning process, we review our uh, core values and we ask the question if they're still relevant, is there anything that needs to be adjusted? And so this year, we did, we decided that we uh, we really wanted to add a new core value. And what that meant was taking one away and replacing it with a new one around contribution. Because in our succession planning process, I think you and I got some clarity around how we see the company our role in stewarding it, our role as leaders that really we want everybody in the company to espouse. We want uh, this to just be kind of baked into the DNA of who we are. Um, and, and for us, that really means that we think our life is a gift. We think um, we are put here on earth to serve other people, to add value to people, that we have a responsibility to God for how we use our time and steward it on behalf of others and for impact in the world. And we felt like that needed to be um, a behavior and a, and a mindset that is core to who we are and made explicit in this value um, of what we ultimately named enthusiastic contribution at Michael Hyatt and Company. So I'm going to read it to you and then dad, I'll just ask you to share some of your thoughts on it. Okay. So enthusiastic contribution means that we view our work and the people we work with as a gift, and we show it by adding value to every person and situation we encounter. So again, enthusiastic contribution. So Dad, what do you what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think you nailed it in this statement. We do view our work and the people we work with as a gift. So even as a leader, I'm not entitled to these people's best service. Right. Right. So that's my part. You know, I think their they as their part for contribution is they want to give their best work. But as a leader, I'm not entitled to that. Uh, it's a gift. And I have this gift of these people who are working with me and for me for a limited period of time. Mm -hmm. It's not forever. You know, I don't, I'm not entitled to, you know, their service for the rest of their lives. And so here's what that means. That means that when they decide to move on, entitlement would be angry. Right. You know, like, how could they leave after all I've done for them? Mm -hmm. That's what entitlement looks like when you're a leader, right? Or how dare they go to work for one of my competitors? What stewardship would look like is see the time that I've had with them as a gift. Mm -hmm. and, and I hope that I've invested in them and made them a better person and that they can leave with all that and make a contribution somewhere else, right? So um, I, I think of my kids as a gift. You know, my, I'm not entitled to them, you know, just being submissive to me for the rest of their lives. You know, they're a gift that I have for a period of time. My goal as a parent is to deparent them and to, you know, send them into the world so that they can be stewards over what God gives to them. Mm -hmm. So that gift thing is very important. That's the opposite of entitlement. I've been given this gift, and because I've been given a gift, I have a responsibility of stewardship for which I'll give an account and which is also temporary. Mm -hmm. Okay? And so we show that that's a gift, as you said in this sentence, and we show it by adding value to every person and situation we encounter. Mm -hmm. 
So the person who's committed to enthusiastic contribution, the opposite of entitlement, in every situation they go into, there's some version of how can I leave this better than I found it? Yeah. So that's, you know, I I wanted to leave this company better than I found it, which as the founder, you know, it was hard not to do that. Mm-hmm. But now you're going to be stewarding this. You're the new CEO. Yep. You're going to be stewarding this for some period of time. You know, it's not going to be forever, some period of time. And you want to leave it in better shape to your successor than you found it when you got it from me. So where does that come from? For you, I actually know the answer to this question, but I I want people to hear this because I think it's important as you're thinking about sort of the soul of your company, which is really where your core values should come from, is, you know, what are your early experiences that formed these values in you? And for you in particular, this idea of leaving things better than you found it and this idea of, of life being a gift, where does that come from? Well, I think a couple of places. First of all, there's, you know, I can't avoid just sort of the theological answer to this. You know, my worldview is that God created all things, including me. And by virtue of that creation, he has a claim on my life for which I'm answerable, Mm -hmm. you know, and that I have a specific purpose. And by the way, even in purpose, I don't think I have a singular purpose. I have a purpose for this season in my life. And that can change over time. Mm -hmm. You know, you have a purpose in this season of your life. The, the 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 thing I love about that is it frees me from the burden of trying to define an overarching purpose yeah. that'll be true in every season. Yep. Right? And so I mainly got this insight, by the way, just to give credit where credit's due, from your sister, my daughter, Mary, who talked about, did a series on her podcast on purpose, and she talked about multiple purposes, and I love that. Yeah. So anyway, so it, it does come from a theological kind of construct that God has given me this life and I'm answerable for it. I need to be a good steward of it. Mm-hmm. But then also it comes, I think, from some of the the early training I got as a young boy. You know, my dad would say to me, you know, son, if you borrow somebody's lawn mower or if you borrow a piece of equipment from your neighbor, you always want to return it in better shape than you found it. Mm-hmm. So if you if you borrow a pair of pruning shears and they're dirty or whatever, you want to clean them up before you return them. Or if you borrow somebody's car, like in those days, that was fairly common when I was growing up. You'd borrow somebody's car for something and you'd get it washed and you'd fill it up with gas, even if it was mostly empty when you when you got it. So it's the, the idea of leaving it in better shape than when you found it. And my my parents just drilled that into me. Mm-hmm. And so it just became sort of an, an unspoken assumption about the way I approached life. I love that. I mean, probably everybody has a story similar to that that they can remember as a kid, you know, something your parents said or grandparents or teacher. And sometimes those are some of the most foundational values that really become the operating system of our life. And it's important, I think, that we infuse those into our company because that's really our expectation for how we want people to behave and how we understand the world to work best. And that's that's part of what we need to do as a leader. And that that's true, by the way, whether you're the CEO or owner of a company or whether you're leading a team, you know, or you're leading one person. Like the, you can have core values um, that you make explicit to help uh, guide behavior in any of those situations. But I love that story because um, I, I think what what I hear when you say that is that our orientation needs to be on what can we give, what can we contribute, not what can we take. Well, this is important again for leaders because. I think sort of the conventional modern version of this is I want to have a group of people that work for me so they can serve me. Right. And make my life easier. Right. And that's kind of the opposite of what I'm talking about. As a leader, I think we have to see ourselves 
you know, it's a biblical idea, but as servants of other people, mm-hmm. how can how can I serve them so they can serve our customers? And ultimately, if we do that, our customers and our clients will take care of us. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of the sort of the upside down model of servant leadership. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so important. One of the questions I wanted to ask you, though, do you try to hire people that already have this mindset, or do you think you can train people who come to your company that may not have this fully formed? Well, I think there's a difference between not fully formed and not formed at all. So I absolutely am not going to hire someone who is clearly entitled. You know, the the woman that I told the story about who I interviewed several years ago who had her list of all the ways that the company could help her achieve her life goals. You know, she obviously did not advance in the process. Um, however, I would say that anytime we hire someone, you know, we're we're looking for, I like to use the language of values alignment as, better than cultural alignment. I think cultural mm-hmm. alignment can sometimes become a euphemism uh, for the same as us. And it can really be at odds with creating um, diversity and, and other things like that. So I, I don't really like that. But I, I think values alignment is something that we're looking for. And is what we probably really meant when we said, um, you know, cultural fit before. And so I'm looking for more fit than not. And I also know that people are in process. You know, we we hire a lot of people who come out of environments where they were working too much, where they were expected to work. 10, 12 hour days, you know, and they're kind of recovering workaholics. Um, I think that's because for two reasons. One, we are an achievement oriented company and we really place a high value on intentional margin. That is one of our other core values. And so it, it's a, uh, a relief for people. It's something they're looking for in their life that they find unsustainable in their current situation. Uh, but that is a process of learning to not work too much. It's a process of learning how to think differently about your time, how to think differently about your contribution. So you're able to make your highest and best contribution in less time, you know, have less time spent on things that are not your highest and best contribution. So I'm not looking for perfection, in other words. Well, and part of that contribution too is outside of work. And so when we talk about margin, we're not talking about financial margin. Sometimes people misunderstand that. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And and financial margin is important, right? Because it can sometimes buy the other kind of margin that we're really talking about, which is time. Yes. You know, so we want people to contribute at work and make a make a solid contribution here, but to also have the freedom or the margin, the time to be able to make a contribution in the other areas of their life that are important, whether that's their family or their, you know, place of worship or their community, wherever it is, we want them to be able to make, you know, a contribution there as well. Yeah. Well, that's an, an interesting point too, because I think um in some ways, this value of enthusiastic contribution for us is kind of the counterbalance to our value of intentional margin, right? So the the way that we can have intentional margin, the uh, the ability for people to have time outside of work for their most important priorities and really place a high value on that, it, it's not some kind of magical thing, like somehow magically we can get done, you know, uh, 40 hours of work in 30 hours a week, which is what we're working toward right now. It's not magic. It's that we're so focused focused on enthusiastic contribution, on what is the value of the work that I'm doing to the company and how can I do the most valuable work enthusiastically, that enables us to get more high leverage work, and high leverage is another of our values, but to get more high leverage work, work with a disproportionate return on investment relative
relative to the time uh, than we otherwise would, right? Mm-hmm. And and I think that that's um, it's helpful because it, again, we're kind of looking for painting a picture with our core values that say all these things together is how we want to be in the world. Any one value all by itself is not the whole picture, but together these things these things are kind of in concert with one another. And this is who we are at Michael Hyde and Company and how, as you say, how we want to behave on the way to accomplishing our vision in this company. So by the way, if you're wondering what was the value that got removed or modified, we had a value called infectious enthusiasm. And Megan, in in your thinking, how did you get from that to enthusiastic contribution? Well, so first of all, I will say this. It's important to us to not have too many values. And that's not a hard and fast rule, but we have eight. And part of that is because we want people to remember them and we want them to be few enough that they can be operationalized inside the company. So if there are too many, let's say you had 12 or 15 or 20 values, which probably all of us could think of 12 to 20 things that are important to us, The problem is you can't hold those in your head and you can't constantly be referencing them to measure your behavior against. So keeping the number small was important. So in our strategic planning process, as we looked at these and just asked the question, are they still relevant? You know, do these still express how we want to be in the world, how we want to behave on the way to accomplishing our vision? Infectious enthusiasm, we felt like was the weakest of all eight. You know, while we we like that, the definition for that for us was we believe we work in the best company on earth and we spontaneously spread that enthusiasm to others, our customers and our audience. You know, the the truth is we like that value a lot. We like the enthusiasm part of it, but but it kind of lacked a purpose, you know, like mm-hmm. why are we so enthusiastic? What's what's the big uh, kind of impact of that? And so when we thought about it more, we thought, you know what, we want to be enthusiastic about contribution. We want to take that same energy and we want to apply it to contribution because contribution, if you don't get contribution at Michael Hyatt and Company, you're not going to last long because that is... That is really underlying everything else that we do is this sense of stewardship, this sense of accountability, this sense of, you know, we have this gift that we get to hold in our hands and it's it's our work every day and it's each other. And that really matters to us. You know, we want to be passionate and enthusiastic about that. So that's that's how we came to that decision. That's good. Thank you. One of the things I was thinking we might want to talk about is just some of the markers of enthusiastic contribution. Yeah. Or not entitlement. Right. And, you know, the place where this always comes into clear focus for me is, and I don't do this frequently, but but occasionally, you know, we eat at Chick-fil-A. And one of my favorite things about it, I mean, the chicken's amazing, but one of the one of the best things about it is the response yeah. that all the employees give. So they they serve you your meal and you say thank you and they say what? My pleasure. My pleasure. Yep. And that's such a stark contrast between sometimes I'll go to another, especially a fast food restaurant, and you know, you say thank you and there's nothing. Or they right. might just say, You're welcome. You know, it's just it's just a subtle kind of entitlement mindset, you know, that's very different. I never get that sense at Chick-fil-A. They've nope. they've ingrained that into their team that that working at Chick-fil-A is a privilege and it's a gift. And therefore, they can respond with, my pleasure. Right. And and I know one of the things my wife really tried to drill into you girls growing up was that when you were asked to do something, you would just say, sure, yep. you know, <laughs> cheerfully, as opposed to, you know, rolling your eyes and grumbling about it. 
But but again, realizing that it's a privilege to be in the family, you know, we're providing for you food, clothing, place to live, all that. And so to ask you to do something occasionally yeah. is not an imposition on you. You know, it's an opportunity for you to return the service. That's right. It's funny. Um, so our oldest son, Finn, actually works at Chick-fil-A. And he's been there for a while now. And uh, when he, when we ask him to do something, or, or you know, he picks something up at the grocery store for us, or whatever, and I'll say, "Hey, thanks, Finn, for you know getting that half a gallon of milk at Publix." He'll be, he'll say, "Oh, it's my pleasure." <laughs> <laughs> and I said the other day, I said, "Finn, you don't have to say it's my pleasure at home. I mean, I don't want you to feel." Well, that I pressure. wouldn't stop that. I would not. Stop <laughs> he said, that. he said, Maggie, because he's my stepson. He said, Maggie, I couldn't stop saying it if I tried. It's so ingrained in me. I'll never look back. <laughs> Oh my gosh. That was so great. Um, but I but you know, I, I think to your question of what are the characteristics or or attributes of enthusiastic contribution, one of them is gratitude. I mean, it's yes. it's just this posture of gratitude that everything and everyone that comes into your life, you're grateful for, even the hard things. And you choose gratitude and you choose to express gratitude all the time. So when someone, a coworker, you know, gets you that report you asked for, or when your assistant brings you lunch, you don't just assume that that's their job, even if it is part of their job description. You're actively thanking people. You know, I I think about this in myself. I want to be a person who other people know of as someone who is always thankful, who's always acknowledging Mm -hmm. other people, you know? And that's, I think that's one of the things that's characteristic of enthusiastic contribution. Love that. Okay, love gratitude, but another one is going the extra mile. Yeah. So when a coworker asks you to do something or your boss asks you to do something, here's what you don't say. Here's what entitlement looks like. That's not my job. Oh, gosh. I hate it when people say that. Oh, that makes me crazy. That's almost like the cardinal sin that you cannot recover from. No, that's exactly right. So instead, you know, the person that sees himself as a steward, that sees themselves in, in, as a servant in the best sense, is somebody who says, sure, let me help with that. Because again, it comes from a sense of stewardship. It comes from a a sense of gratitude, but the willingness to serve others, even when it's outside the scope Mm -hmm. of your job description. Absolutely. You know, I I think of this um, in relation to my new chief of staff, Erin, who I hired in November. And she came on right at the end of our strategic planning process while we were planning our annual team meeting. You know, I thought to myself, well, she probably won't be able to do much with that. You know, she's going to be so focused on getting acclimated in her role and doing other things that she probably won't be able to do it. Not so. She took over that whole process. She designed an amazing slide deck, a beautiful binder for our presentation of our strategic plan to our executive and leadership teams. Uh, I mean, she just like absolutely exceeded my expectation way beyond what I had even asked her to do. You know, I thought she would help me do those things. Instead, she took total ownership of it, ran with it, went the extra mile and and just you know it was it was her baby until it was time for that baby to be delivered and she did man it was incredible so i think that's a good example of you know what i asked her to do was here and what she how she performed was up here and no but that that's totally internally driven that was not me that did that the other thing i think of here as an attribute of enthusiastic contribution is collaboration so one of the perspectives of someone who is a steward and therefore not a, an owner is that they don't have a lot of ego, right? So they're Mm -hmm. happy to go the extra mile, as we just said, but they're also happy to work together with others 
to create a great solution or an outcome. It's not important to them that they get all the credit. It's not important to them that they protect their turf. They're willing to jump in to work together with their peers and make something great, you know, or to, or to just help out. Even if they get no recognition at all, it doesn't matter. They're willing to work together without all the drama and ego that oftentimes is characteristic of organizations. So this is one of the best benefits in my mind. Um, you know, you, you just see all over the place, people who are willing to jump in, help one another and accomplish things that otherwise, if they stayed siloed or they stayed, you know, strictly in their own lane, they could never accomplish. Well, if you want to build this this quality into your organization, as we've said so many times, and it's our fundamental philosophy of leadership, it has to start with you as the leader. You can't afford to be anything other than a steward in your own thinking, that you're going to make an enthusiastic contribution to other people. You can't, as a leader, be entitled. If you are, you will replicate that in your team. You'll create an entitled team. So you've got to be willing to be grateful, to serve others, to collaborate with others, and, and to have this quality of enthusiastic contribution if you're going to make this a cultural value that's going to you know, make it past your leadership and on to the, to the generation to come. Well, I hope this has been helpful for y'all today. Um, I think you will find if you install this value in your company in, in some form or fashion, uh, what you'll what you'll end up with is a team that is self-propelled, a team that is excited to get to work and add value to organization and to each other. And that is so rewarding for them and also for you. Guys, thanks for joining us today. Until next week, lead to win. This episode is brought to you by the LifeScore Assessment, a free tool that gives you the clarity to set better goals and build toward the future that you want. Download it for free at lead2.win slash LifeScore.